From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. Each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie or a television episode that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is writer Rachel Reeves. You have seen her work all over the internet in places such as Rue Morgue, Consequences of Sound, We Are Horror Zine. She's also co-host of the Losers Club podcast, and she is a... Self-described vinyl gremlin at Record Exchange. <laughs> that is accurate. Welcome to the show. Hi, you guys. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited to talk with you. Uh, I, I, we'll, we'll get to this in a bit, but I love horror scores. I love music. I love all, all things about that. So I'm super excited to talk to you about that part. But before we do get to that, let's bring it back to the start. How did you get introduced to horror? So I feel like I'm a bit of a late bloomer when it comes to horror. Uh, my family, my parents were pretty conservative, uh, yeah. conservative, not politically conservative, like what they were exposing us to. And I didn't have any older siblings. Uh, so I think Aww. I didn't get into horror really until I was in my teenage years. 
Um, and I kind of just found it on my own and I would have to sneak watching it because yeah, my parents wouldn't really, they wouldn't even let us watch the Simpsons. Like that's like, that's like crazy to me now, but yeah, they wouldn't even let us watch the Simpsons. So I had to kind of sneak into stuff. Um, and most of that happened while I was babysitting because I would be at other people's houses. (laughs) So that's kind of how I got to it. But once I started, it just kind of snowballed and once I kind of had the autonomy that comes with, you know, being a teenager and having a driver's license, the floodgates opened and I've never looked back and I've been a huge fan ever since. Does your dad have all those beer cans? Is that your that's... dad that has like ridiculous room of beer of beer cans yes. and collection of beer? Okay, that's my that's dad. Yes, he is a extremely avid beer can collector. <laughs> um, has one of the largest collections in the United States. It's very weird. Oh but wow! Yeah, I grew up with that, and <laughs> it's it's that's why it makes me laugh. Like I don't know why in my head like beer guys it would be like oh yeah they like horror. I don't. There's no. There's no data for me to have that be like a correlation i'm just like yeah he likes beer and cool cans he must like horror movies you know i will say i (laughs) what i get from my dad as far as it comes from movies he's very much into action movies so like anything like stallone schwarzenegger just big muscles like he's into that he's also into like star trek and like science fiction stuff so there are some elements there for sure Mm -hmm. you know like i did see like predator growing up and you know things like commando okay. so i th- there's some crossover there i think yeah but so, but that is always so interesting to me where like families are like can't watch horror but you can watch these action <laughs> movies because predator to me is a horror movie oh, for like, sure and it's just so it's like that is always so interesting to see like what people consider like what fa- like what parents are like you can't watch this but you can watch this it is just so yeah. interesting it's like it's just fascinating and even my mom like she would love to watch like masterpiece mystery on PBS. Oh, oh so yeah. like yeah, masterpiece so like all of like the Poirot things and like all yeah. of those BBC murder mysteries, Agatha Christie kind of stuff. So that I mean, there, there's murder in that, and so there's <laughs> right, there's right. elements of it. So it's not a huge surprise to me that I kind of pushed it just a little bit further and gravitated towards horror. But yes, you're exactly right. It is very weird to be like, oh yeah, you can watch this, but like The Simpsons, like oh god, no, like, <laughs> makes no sense. Besides talking about your dad, so like, what were some of those movies you watched while you were babysitting that you got to watch when you weren't at home? Do you remember any? Of oh those? yeah. So I I think when I really started getting into it, yes. So I could drive and. And I would go to um, on my way to wherever I was babysitting, whatever, you know, church family's kid that I would be <laughs> watching somebody I, my family <laughs> knew from church. I would stop by at, at Albertsons and they had like a little tiny video like VHS rental and it would be Scream. It would be The Faculty and Cruel Intentions and Disturbing Behavior. So like I was just at that right age, I think, yeah. for that era of horror and those covers. I remember them so vividly. And so that's what really got me into it. And it wasn't till a lot later that I started digging into older stuff because I didn't I had never seen like Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. Like that all came later for me. It really started with that kind of late, no, I guess it would have been, yeah, early 2000s, super late 90s stuff that I was catching up on. But, and I also remember, I do remember seeing American Psycho in the theater with a, oh, wow. that was like my first like group date, which is really funny. That was like a very awkward group date. I can tell you that. 
Sorry, that's my cat. Let me just mute that real <laughs> She's trying to get out, so she's hitting the door stopper. Oh, that's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Cute. I forgot she was in uh, here, so I was like <laughs> all the time. Like, just, it shouldn't not an surprise episode me, of, of Scarred for Life without without Misu deciding to be involved. I love her. She's great. <laughs> You can have her. Just kidding. I love her forever. It's hilarious. Okay. Anyway. So I want to hear about this group date to go see American Psycho. Sure. A group date. A group date. And so I I mean, I don't know what year it came out, but I feel like I was like 15 or something. I was definitely... Because I, I remember... Like 2000. I think it was like 2000 okay, is when perfect. it came out, I yeah. think. So I was yep, 15. And... I, it's so funny to me because I remember the girlfriend I went with and her name was Nicole, but I have no idea who the guys were, <laughs> which is funny. So apparently that didn't last or whatever. I don't know. I think it, I think it was like a guy she was dating and then just one of his friends. So I don't even think I knew that guy, but they were yeah, like, oh, let's go see a scary movie. And I was like, sure. And like, what's American Psycho? I have no idea. And so we went to that and that was... I had been watching a few things at around that time, you know, I was starting to get into it, but I had never seen anything quite like that. And it was a bit of a, like, just, you know, you leave the theater and you're like, oh, okay. What the right. fuck did I just watch? Yeah, cool, guys. <laughs> just, like, the whole thing, like, very sexually aggressive. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Christian Bale running naked with a chainsaw. Like. Exactly. <laughs> Not really, like... Him in the mirror, like, fucking the girl with his, like, going like this in the oh, mirror, yeah. like, staring at himself. And I was like, I saw that movie at the, of an inappropriate age, so that has a lot of memories. And, of and I think that. I just had this image of, like, oh, you go to, like, group dates with, like, boys, and you just, like, make out in the movie theater. And this was not... You know, like, that was... <laughs> this was not that movie. This is so... No. It really just, like, shattered all my expectations of what you do with boys in the movie theater. That's hilarious. <laughs> that is hilarious. Everyone's sitting there very quietly like, gripping their seat like, yes, it was so awkward. Am I supposed to laugh or not? Because it's a kind of a funny movie, but in a really fucked up way. So when you're 15, you're like, this isn't funny. No, and I didn't this know horrific. this guy that I was with. Like, yeah. This was like the first time I had <laughs> oh, met him. And oh, so no. I was like, oh, this is a great, great get Don't to know me, you. Sir. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, cool. Wow. So, yeah, so wow. that was a, a good, uh, I guess, reality check, I suppose. Wow. That's incredible. So, uh, do you remember what your very first horror movie was, though? Well, it's so funny, because I do remember, like, things that scared me, but they weren't always horror movies. Okay, so one thing from a very young age that terrified me was specifically the Jaws theme song. Mm. Now, I had never seen Jaws, (laughs) but I knew... That it was a shark movie, mm-hmm. and my dad would, I I would not, I was not an early riser as a child. I'm still not, and my dad would use that song to wake me up if I wouldn't oh, get out of bed. God. And so he would, you know, he'd like come into my room and be like, da 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 da, da, da. <laughs> and so it would cause me to like jump out of bed i'd be like i'm up i'm up i'm up like don't get me because if i didn't get up he would be like the shark's gonna get your toes you know so That's so amazing. i was always i love your your dad sounds both like like a lovable scamp oh 100 percent 
That is 100% accurate. Wow. And so, so you never saw Jaws, but he was like, the shark's going to get your feet. Yeah. Oh, no. Jaws is going to get you. And so for like, I didn't see Jaws till I was an adult because I was so scared of just the music of it yeah. and like what it was. <laughs> and then, so that's a weird one. And then also I remember seeing E.T. as a kid mm. and that really scared me. I think that's pretty, it's so funny to find out that that's kind of common actually. Like the scene where like the government comes into the house. Oh my just, God. Like, terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah someone posted that picture the other day of like et like on the side of the road and i know people put that as the funny reaction meme but it always makes me very upset because yeah. he just it's like the most upsetting part of the movie but so scary yeah, et's fucked and when up. he's like in with the stuffed animals like oh i had God. tons of stuffed animals as a kid so like that's I that's the just, scene for me <laughs> i was just not i would yeah did not i was not into that so yeah and as a he's a really young child too like snow white I think it sounds so funny to say, but yeah, when like Maleficent's in the fireplace and oh, yeah. she's like, Aurora, like I would always have to hide behind the couch. My mom would always tell me how I'd have to hide behind the couch because I Aww. couldn't stand that scene. So that's, that's a good. Wait, Snow White or Sleeping Beauty? Oh, yes. Yeah, Am I getting my Yes. Was it? I, you, yeah, you're right. Sleeping, Sleeping Beauty. Beauty. Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, okay. Sorry. I, I can't get, I, don't, I also get myself confused. <laughs> I was like. Who is who? Who is That's who? That's a good anyway. creepy moment, though. Like, think the, the moment you said that, I started thinking back to when I was a kid watching that and just being like, there were moments of horror that were put into the cartoons, and that was absolutely one of them. It, the way that yeah. whole thing is shot up into her pricking her finger, it, it staged like a horror movie. Totally. And then, like, Secret of Nim. I know you no. guys have talked about that one, but, like, that one was really had some really scary stuff in it, but... Yeah, it's I, and then one of the first actual horror movies I do remember seeing was Christine. Oh. But I think like I loved that though because I was really into Greece at the time. Oh, yeah. And um it was right around the time when I was so that was right before I got my first car. So I had see I was starting to get more into horror, but my dad, once again my dad, can you tell him a daddy's girl? Can you tell? <laughs> um, he came in and was like wake up you got to come watch this movie like i know you've seen like i know you love greece but now you got to see christine and it was like playing on tv and then i watched christine that way for the first time and was like whoa this is amazing that's awesome <laughs> cool yeah so that was one of the first older horror movies i guess i ever saw older okay. in quotation cool. marks <laughs> right right <laughs> i mean i guess it is kind of old now i mean you know it because, like, I, you know, I grew up in, in – I was born in 81, so, like, the 80s or, you know, when I started getting into movies. And now it's so weird to think back on how that is now old movies. I know. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm, whenever I say the word old, I'm like, I'm sorry, whoever I'm offending with the word old in this context, I promise I'm not trying to be rude. No, but we are further away from the 80s than the 80s were to the 50s at that time. So it's like – It's weird. It's old. It's old. <laughs> So speaking of okay, so speaking of of getting older, segue. <laughs> speaking of aging, yes. What yeah. what draws you to horror as an adult? I there's several things. I think I personally, I mean, I've always just liked spooky things. I've always liked just slightly darker material, whether it's books or or movies or you know stuff like that. But I also do. I do have a lot of just general anxieties in life, mm -hmm. a lot of social anxieties and a lot of 
that that presents itself in weird ways. And I really do feel like horror is a safe space for that and exercising mm-hmm. and kind of experiences things. To be honest, it's the same thing I get from watching just garbage reality TV too, in some ways, like those confrontations that you see on like real housewives. <laughs> it's like, Oh God, I could never do that. So like being able to like, like experience those situations from a safe space. It's, it's very comforting for me. And I also just love... You have just made something fucking click in my brain because I'm doing Real Housewives watch mm. right now, like, for the first time. Mm-hmm. and Like, it's a like horror movies or Real Housewives. And you have just made something fucking go boom in my brain with that connection. Yeah. That is so interesting. I think I think anyway. that there's something there, Mary, but be, like, for real, because that's, I think, why I like it. Because I have, like, a very sometimes socially you know, awkward or I have like a lot of anxieties around social situations and Mm -hmm. I have a lot of issues with like confronting people or like expressing my emotions and, you know, not holding them in. And so I think, you know, seeing somebody being able to just like scream really (laughs) loudly and also like maybe like yell at their friend for doing something stupid on Real Housewives, like there's a connection there and just being able to like express those emotions in a way and also I guess just be, yeah, I don't, it's weird to think of those two as the same thing, but I think that there's some similarities there for me personally. I also just think that like, well, I love the music and I love Mm -hmm. the practical effects and I love not knowing what's going to come next and they're just fun too. So I get a lot of it, but if I had to like dig really deep, I think that that's part of why just the, the way it allows me to experience some anxieties, I think. Do you get scared as an adult watching horror movies? Yeah, I do. And I think that's because I didn't necessarily grow up watching some of them. I mm-hmm. I think that, you know, that there, there are still films that like genuinely get to me in certain ways. Home Invasion Horror is one for <laughs> me. Mm. Even like uh, there's an episode of the new Lisey's Story where there's um, the character puts like a bag over Julianne Moore's oh, yeah. head. And like that scares me like thinking about somebody being in your house like i've had my house broken into in the past and just like knowing that somebody's like in your house is really terrifying to me so home invasion gets to me and also just sometimes like like i remember when sinister came out that genuinely Mm. scared me so i think that there's moments i think it takes a special film to do it but yeah i'm i i do still get scared (laughs) that's awesome don't lose that yeah. Yeah. So was was Sinister the last movie to like truly scare you, you think? I think or was so. was there something more recent? No, I okay. think Sinister was well, like sense. the last one that like genuinely like beginning to end. I was like, I had the lights off and was like, I don't know if I can do this <laughs> right now. <laughs> that movie's upsetting. I It really is. It's really upsetting. Yeah. And it's, yeah, just the way it's done and the way the tension builds and ugh, yeah. The little vignettes of lawnmowers rolling over people i know that that's, scene that's just real. horrific murder it's fine yes it's fine <laughs> you know no big deal um so, so what 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 are some of, some of your favorite horror movies now so some of my favorite horror movies now i think so well rosemary's baby is one of my favorite movies but obviously there's some conflicting emotions there yeah <laughs> yeah but i do love that movie and i love it for um, a lot of different reasons, but so that's one of my favorite. Christine always has, I think that film is perfect. 
and I never get sick of watching it. Let's see. I love horror comedies too. I love Blood Diner. Oh, Blood Diner. <laughs> oh, I need to I need to see that. I don't know why I, need to see I love Blood, Blood Diner. Diner, but yeah, and I love Evil Dead and Army of Darkness and Scream and Let's see what else. I And I love, I don't know, it's so funny when like you see something that you're not expecting to really love, but you end up, it ends up being one of your favorites. Like Rawhead Rex is another one that I saw maybe like five or six years ago, and it's become one of my favorites. It's bananas, but it's also that's awesome. That's what I've heard. I, and I also, I love 70s horror movies. So like anything that's going to be like Hammer or like The Omen, like. There's something about that 70s aesthetic and the pacing. I just, so I really love just a lot of those and or like Don't Look Now. Oh, yeah. I have to rewatch that. Yeah. So, I yeah, I, I love all that stuff. Okay. So you mentioned earlier about music. So I want to know, when did you find your interest in music? I've always had a passion for music. I've I started taking piano lessons when I was five and I played all the okay. way through college and I majored in music. So music's always been a passion oh, okay. of mine. And I also, I mean, I work at a record store, like for my day mm-hmm. job. So that's, and I've done that for, you know, 15 years now. So music has always been a passion of mine. And then, uh, when it comes to film, I think it just kind of came later, but yeah, Rosemary's Baby, that's why I was said I'd love it for a lot of reasons. That was the first film that I really like. The soundtrack really kind of something clicked for me mm-hmm. um, and really started paying attention to what was going on. And it got me interested in more. So that led me to really pay attention and start digging into more horror soundtracks. And I think that there's just there's something special about the way that music works in horror films that I think is just so unique because you're not only dealing with, you know, just being scared, but you're supporting building the tension and you're, you know, really translating what the characters are feeling and setting up what's going to come next or, you know, leading the audience a different way to mm-hmm. set up a scare. Like it just it's such an integral part of what makes horror successful, but it can also be really beautiful pieces of music. And I yeah. think that that sometimes that gets lost, like the scares sometimes overpower the artistry behind it. And which, yeah, just once I started digging in and really like listening to a lot of these pieces, I was just shocked how beautiful so many of them were. And yeah, I don't know, it just kind of snowballed from there. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious. So not talking about horror in particular, but talking about yeah. film scores in, in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I grew up, you know, in the when when I was starting to realize music and the importance of it in 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 movies, it was probably in the '90s for me. I was probably in my like my teens, and I started to get hit with like a lot of like First Night, the soundtrack to First Night, or Titanic, or all of these scores that like I ended up buying on cassette tape or on CD, or I would listen to. Like this was when I started to realize how like you said, beautiful scores could be on their own as opposed to just watching a movie and having music that accompanies it. Now, I am curious, again, let's take horror out of this because I think horror is a little bit different beast. I feel like film scores in general have not been recently as integral to the movie as they were previously. Like, I can't I can't think of, outside of, again, horror, any soundtrack that I've gone out and, like, actively purchased 
other than some horror soundtracks. And I, I'm curious if the if if that's if I'm off in my own little world, if I, or if what your thoughts are on the on the film score today. I think it's interesting. Yeah, no, I think that's interesting because, I mean, you're right. And I think, I mean, one of the earliest memories I have of like a film score that just really, I mean, I paid attention to, and I think a lot of people probably share this, is Star Wars. Mm -hmm. But yeah, now I think, especially with big budget movies, like you think about like any of the Marvel universe, like there's so much going on. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, these giant movies it's easy for them it's just to get overpowered like Mm -hmm. literally just a couple days ago we were watching fast and the furious nine uh with my dad and you know i mentioned something about like oh yeah brian tyler did the score for this and he's like oh i thought it was all just like popular music songs and i was like no like there's a score there too and he was like oh i guess i'll have to pay attention like when did they start doing that and i'm like on the third one six films ago (laughs) like it's only the first two that have like pop songs only pop songs like then after that there's a score so i think that that's a good example of just like how it can get lost Mm -hmm. in a lot of these big budget films i do think that indie films you know smaller maybe more artsy for a lack of a better word i think that it that's still there but especially when it comes to just mainstream movies i think that they sometimes get overpowered by the visual elements or the action or you know just some of the what's going on i do think like there are exceptions like parasite i think i know that's like a borderline film but i think parasite i think minari so i think that there's there are some exceptions to that rule, especially when they come to dramas. But if something crosses over into the action realm, it really just takes it somewhere else, I think. And it feels like a lot of the time with scores, it's not even the score, it's like the soundtrack with the songs. Yeah. I feel like it's such a big marketing push that I've noticed. And and thinking like with Cruella, they like they were really like pushing the soundtrack list and like the song and the original songs mm-hmm. that some of those like artists created. And I feel like ma- that in a way, that was the big thing also like the two thousands. I remember cause we, my family loved the Spider-Man movies yeah. and we would buy the CDs and like mm-hmm. listen to the soundtracks. And that was like such a huge draw. Like I didn't care about the score. I wanted to listen to the songs I knew. Totally. So that also is like, seems like a big shift in mainstream bigger mainstream movies because i agree i think like in dramas and also indie movies and especially horror which is again a whole different beast there's a focus on the score but now it's like the soundtrack song is like a marketing pull yeah. more than anything else and, and i do i do think that there are some ex- exceptions like one of the people that i love one of the kind of i say up and coming but he is he has arrived uh would be like ludwig uh Gorenson. i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right but he did creed he did the mandalorian he did tenant oh. so i think that there are some people that i think are really going to become the face of like the like the new john williams you know okay. the new alan silvestri or cool. james horner so i do think that there are some that are going to kind of stand the test of time and have sold pretty well. And I think like another one would be Brian Tyler. I really do think mm. like he, okay. he, I mean, he's done all the Fast and Furious. He's done some Avengers. He's doing the new Scream movie. He's done, he's, oh, cool. he's done so much stuff. And so I do think that there, 
there are some that will kind of cross over into the mainstream. But I do think you're right. I think it does a lot of the others. It takes film music fans to really kind of rally behind it. But I, even at the record store, though, I do think that Parasite was one for sure, because I would have customers coming oh, yeah. in who, you know, just regular customers in all sorts of age ranges, and they'd be asking for that. So That's that might awesome. be one of, yeah, that might be one of the, the last ones that I've really seen that seem to cross over into diff- all sorts of demographics. Well, and I, I wanted to to kind of isolate horror out of that discussion, because I, I do think horror has been, as you've kind of discussed, has been like really paving the way for film scores. And you mentioned you brought up Lisey's story, which I've been watching and, and doing a podcast with with Joe Lipset. And I love Clark. I mm-hmm. got introduced to him with Daniel Isn't Real. And the score for that was phenomenal. And then I read your your fantastic interview with Clark um, about the score for Lisey's story. And I was so happy to read that. And this is why I think what you do is so important because you are bringing light to all of these different scores that, are, that um, I grew up listening to. I grew up listening to horror scores and loving it. And so the fact that that passion is still continuing, I think is, is phenomenal. And Lisey's story soundtrack is killer. I think so good. It's so good. Yeah. And it's so cool that, yeah, Clark is doing that. And I love that he was doing it because of Daniel Isn't Real. Like, I loved mm-hmm. when he said that, like, that the director, Pablo or Lorraine, just loved Daniel Isn't Real. And I was like, I want that guy. And it's like, that's that's awesome to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that score is so good. And yeah, I love just talking to these composers because I'm – I. I mean, I studied music for a long time, but I, I came to the realization at one point, it's like this, I'm not a performer. I don't, I don't like writing music, but I'm fascinated by the people who do. Like, I just think it's so magical how you can sit down, you know, at a keyboard or a blank page and like see something on screen and then translate that into a completely different experience mind-blowing. it's mind-blowing how the fuck yeah <laughs> like how you s- i don't understand it's yeah. it's witchcraft and it's like it's beautiful witchcraft. you know there's only so many notes right like there's 88 mm-hmm. keys on a piano but just like the incredible versatility that music has that it's just an endless well of possibilities and how you're able to tap into certain emotions by different tones and different chord progressions and like the cultural associations that you know different cultures have with different intervals and like it just it blows my mind so i love getting inside the heads of these people who you know do this for a living because it's so unique to each of them like what inspires them and their creative process so it's just eternally fascinating and no two composers are the same and you know no two projects are the same so, yeah, I don't think I'll ever get tired of talking about it or talking to these people because every time I learn something new and every time you just I hear some new story or some new approach that just, yeah, blows my mind every time. <laughs> so can you recommend um, some of your or, you know, either favorite or some some horror scores you would recommend people listen to uh, if they are like listening to this and going, hey, maybe I should listen to some horror scores. Do you have any that you can recommend oh, off the top sure. of your head? Not to put you on the spot. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I got some. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, some just like recent ones that I think are really killer would be um, – so Nathan Halpern did Swallow. And mm-hmm. I think that that is just such a gorgeous score. And that movie is gorgeous. And it's just like a great example of all the pieces just working so well together to really just create this 
just beautiful vignette of the story. It's great. Um, also, there's an artist who goes by the name of Gazelle Twin. She did a film called uh, The Power, which is on Shutter now. It's a newer film. And oh, it's yeah. really interesting to me. It's a little out there. It's kind of experimental. It's you got these electronic things. There's lots of weird vocal stuff going on. Okay. To me, it's just really cool. And uh, and the film is pretty fun, too. So, I mean, you should definitely watch. I think it works really well, and it adds a lot to that film. Um, as far as older stuff goes, I mean, I... Let's see. I do really love a lot of the Italian, the mm. Italian guys, which is, you know... Not surprising. I think a lot of people really gravitate towards that. But I mean, anything by Goblin. Oh, yeah. Um, I think mm -hmm. Pino Dinaggio, um, I had already mentioned Don't Look Now, but I'm going to drop Don't Look Now again. Also, his score for Piranha is really great. Oh. I know Piranha is kind of cheesy but and kind of fun, but like that score, that's an example of a score by itself being really wonderful and like, wow, this is a lot better than maybe the film deserved. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's kind of fun when that happens. And then Bruno Nicolai is another great Italian composer. And I'm, oh, and, you know, Ennio Morricone. I mean, what can you say mm. about him? So. Yeah. He's okay. He's okay. Yeah, he's all right, I guess. <laughs> like, overrated. <laughs> like, I don't even know where to start with him. So, but ev everything he does is incredible. So, that, yeah, he's one of my go tos for sure. That's awesome. Cool. Okay. So, we've talked about music and horror. But Rachel, what what are we talking about today? It's not a movie, but it's a television episode. It is. Uh, so today we're talking about an X Files episode uh, called Syzygy. Talk about iconic scores. Oh my god! Right. Okay, so uh, for those of you who have not seen Syzygy, it is in season three of the X Files. Um, in uh, in the episode, a rare alignment of the planets gives two homicidal teenage girls dangerous telekinetic powers, while simultaneously driving their small town insane with satanic panic. Mulder's interest in the local female detective also makes Scully jealous, and there's a lot of horniness going I on. I love that so that is... So horny. We, we pulled this from IMDb, and I love that that last line is there. Mulder's interest in local female detective makes Scully jealous. Like, why, why does that have to be in there? But that's IMDb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So take us back to when you first saw this television show. Uh, I want to know how old you were, how you saw it. What about it scared you? Because I have questions in particular about that last part. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I have such a vivid memory of this, which is so funny now. Um, so this was an example of uh, a babysitting discovery. Okay. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was, I think I was 13. So it, I couldn't drive because I do remember that the mom had to take me home afterwards. <laughs> and I had, you know, put the kid to bed and sat down and was just watching some TV. I watched first. This this is what set the whole thing up. I was watching <laughs> uh is it America's Most Wanted? Yes, America's Most Wanted. And there was a story about this guy who they were looking for who would sneak into people's house who left their garage doors open for their pets. I don't know if my parents did this. I don't know if anybody else has like seen this though when people leave their garage door open a little bit. Anyways, he would sneak under there and break into people's houses and had killed some people so that was the setup oh then 
So I was already terrified because yeah. I thought that was so creepy. And then you're watching this while you're babysitting. I watched this while I was babysitting. The kid was in bed, <laughs> mind you. I was by myself in somebody else's house. Like, great. A, str- a stranger's home. Stranger's home. A stranger's child. <laughs> and so then after this, the X-Files came on. It just must have been, you know, just Fox or whatever. And it was this episode. And so I was already kind of freaked out. And this came on. And I, I just, at the time... I hadn't seen a lot of horror, so I hadn't seen a lot of the elements that maybe they were pulling from, and I I wasn't even familiar with some of the subjects that they were talking about, like satanic panic, never heard of it. Hmm. But just the fact that it was like these teenage girls and the cult, like that really to me was really creepy as like a middle schooler, you know, high school kids I still thought were like really cool and looked really old. And so like seeing these girls, I was like, oh my God, they're so cool. And it was so creepy. But yes, if you want me to talk specifics, there are some specific memories that stuck with me. Okay, before we do get to that part, I do because yeah. you just brought up the fact that, and I, I this is starting to click in my head now because I, I can imagine being um, a thirteen year old kind of looking, you know, high schoolers seem ageless. They seem like you know mm-hmm. the the end all be all coolness. So I can understand if you're like thirteen years old, you're watching this show where you see high schoolers that are you know having they're partying, they're they're having sex, they're like doing these very adult things, and then there's murder. I mean that gives kind of a conflicted view of what's going to happen in just a few oh, years. Totally. Also, I had never seen X Files. I guess I should say that. Like, I had never seen. So, this was my first episode of X Files. Okay, which is also oh, no. oh. a very distorted oh, no. view of what X Files is. Uh-huh. For the record, but also, did that did that opening sound like that? How did you react to the opening title music? Oh, exactly. Yes. No, the whole thing. Like from the second <laughs> it started, I was like, "Oh God, this is going to be scary." Like I thought it was going to be scary, and so yeah. I, I was already like in that mindset. And okay. I and America's Most Wanted had set me up wow. for it, and then the music. Like I was just a sucker for the whole thing. <laughs> I remember Friday nights on Fox, where like they would they would you would lead up with these you know America's Most Wanted, or you would have like cops, or you'd have like all these types of shows, and then it would go into X Files, and so it's like leading you in to be terrified. Absolutely, yeah. I I completely forgot that that those were probably on around the same time. Yeah, so it I think that it was all just a weird mishmash of things and then there's a couple things specifically in this episode that like tapped into some experiences i had myself so that just like sealed the deal like this was let's talk about that yeah yes okay so well okay so i like i just mentioned there was the thing about the guy getting into people's garages right Mm -hmm. and then in this episode there's a young teenager who gets (laughs) impaled by a garage spring (laughs) which so there was two garage things back to back and I was just and I just thought it was like so graphic which is so silly now because you look at it and you're like okay that wasn't so bad. But that was just so scary to me. And also I something I was shocked about when I was doing just a little tiny bit of research on this is that this came out before Craft. It came out before Scream. Like I Seeing it as an adult, I thought, oh, clearly they're, you know, playing off of craft. Oh, this garage thing. Clearly they're playing off of Scream. But they weren't, which is wild to me. (laughs) And then there's also the scene where the two girls are in the bathroom and they're playing Bloody Mary. Oh. Yes. 
And I had a babysitter growing up. Her name was Janessa. I will never forget who oh boy. did this. She did this. Oh, my okay. God. Okay. Side note, Terry, we got to start some kind of weird ass shit about babysitters <laughs> because we've had so many good, evil babysitter stories. Like, I don't know what we're going to do, but I want like a shirt. Fuck you, Janessa. Like, yeah. we need to make a ba- babysitter series. Anyway. Seriously. Okay. So I remember she was like, I just like remember she's like, oh, do you want to play Bloody Mary? And I'd be like, no, <laughs> no, I don't. And she would like put me in the bathroom oh and be like, Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. And I'd be like, stop it, stop it. You know, and so it, that experience <laughs> happened years before I saw this episode. But then I saw it again and was like, oh my God, it's a real thing. Like it like made it so much worse because I had only heard of this from Janessa, but I knew it was scary. And then it happened again in this episode and just it all came flooding back. <laughs> We were talking to uh, wow. Sapphire Sandalo recently, and she was talking about her her Scarf for Life moment being dolls, where her babysitter, Melody, locked her in a room with the, with the show on. And so I'm like, what is it with babysitters? Like, you obviously were a good know. babysitter, but come on. Yeah, I played, like, Mario Kart with kids. Like, I don't understand, <laughs> like, why. I mean, would... yeah, exactly. Like, I made, like, f- like, frozen pizza and, like, we'd watch, like, an episode of a fun show. Yeah, like, I just don't understand, like, why you would want to do that to kids. But maybe it was a different time. I don't know. But, like, my other thing is... I just always assumed the kids would tell the parents if I did something to fuck them up, and then they would be mad at me, and then I get in trouble my with my parents. Yeah. yeah, like, and I wouldn't be getting paid anymore because, like, a lot of these kids are like regular gigs, and I was like, I want, I don't want them to get mad at me. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Maybe we had our own traumatizing experiences with babysitters, so we were like learn from their mistakes. <laughs> it's probably a true. new generation of babysitter. <laughs> I, you know, I think that there's something there for real because. Yeah, I never wanted to do that because, God, yeah, Janessa. You know what's funny is she Damn grew it, up Janessa. to be a, an ordained pastor. So take you take that as you will. But she, I will never forgive her for, <laughs> you know, scarring me with playing Bloody Mary in our bathroom, <laughs> telling me so she's going to come out those... of the mirror and get me. <laughs> People grow and just just weird things. <laughs> you're like, wait, you're a pastor? Yeah, now? it's still weird. Smashed. <laughs> Wow. wow. Anyway. Yeah, so that that wow, really a lot with that episode. And the bleachers. Oh, like that's something that it's so funny. There's a lot of things from this show like it stuck with me for years, but I never I'm sure you guys have experienced this where you have a memory but you don't necessarily know exactly what it's from. But there's like that Im- and the bleachers scene was one of those things. Like I never quite knew where I had that memory from or where it came from. But then years later, when I was, you know, getting into X-Files and I was watching all of them, I, you know, I got to this episode and was like, holy shit, like, that's what it's from. I <laughs> thought I made it up. I don't know where it was. Like, I never remembered where I saw it. And it just, like, suddenly clicked that it was like, it was X-Files this whole time. So that that is exactly, that's so fucking funny that it happened exactly to me watching it today because I was, a couple days ago, I was like, what show? I was watching something for Chattanooga Film Festival about basketball. And I was like, what fucking thing has the guy getting trapped behind the beat? Like, I was like, where is that? And I forgot that it was this episode. Oh, I was weird. like, where did that come from? Like, where is that? And then it was, I watched, I was like, holy shit, this is where that's from. So I had the exact same thing of like, what? Yeah. Yep, because I love I love the I grew up watching the X Files and I'd seen this episode before, but didn't really like remember a lot of it. So watching it today, I was like, that really just 
dug into the, my brain and just like sat there. Seriously. I, and I think that that's part of it because the episode overall is not like the best X-Files episode, but I do think <laughs> that it's got some really great like moments. So I think that that's part of it. Like yeah. it's got these beats that it's like, holy shit, like they, that's what's happening like crazy. But then the in between stuff kind of like the Mulder Scully stuff is actually kind of the least interesting part of this episode. It's such a weird tonal shift. I feel like because it's like, you have, but I also love this because I love Scully being a sassy bitch. Like her, sure, fine, whatever. Like I have it screen capped, and like I, you, I love that image like all the time. But it's like it feels like this kind of kind of weird, serious, culty vibe, and then you have this very weird relationship co- drama going on between Scully and Mulder, and like that's going on the whole show. And like I know that every episode kind of has its own little feels monster of the week, but it always is always so like throws me off a little bit when we have these very kind of more explicitly romantic episodes between Mulder and Scully. Yeah. And that this is one of those episodes where I was like, oh, I don't like it so much no. when they do this in the show. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we we, t- we talked about the home episode with uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. So we've, we've talked a little, I've, I've mentioned this before, but I didn't really get into X-Files because at the time I didn't have really a way to record, um, shows with dvr didn't wasn't invented yet and um vhs tapes my my dad it was like a a whole thing if i wanted to like record something so i just never i would catch an episode every now and then but bringing it back to music i was in band and i was in marching band so we had a lot of games to play friday nights when this was on so i there was a whole lot of episodes that i missed but i would i would catch them once in a while and i do not remember seeing this one in particular uh but so I, i don't have any like any thoughts of this as as a kid other than I remember watching some X-Files episodes and it being like, Ooh, gosh, this is going to be creepy. And this is going to be my, you know, Friday night scare. But watching this as an adult, this is a very weird episode and not really. <laughs> and again, because I, I have not been sucked into X-Files. So like, I know a little bit about it. I know a little bit that like Mulder and Scully have that. Will they, won't they vibe? I know that there's monsters of the week episodes. Sometimes that have nothing to do with the mythology. And then there's some mythology episodes. So I know like the bare minimum, but I was not prepared for coming into this. And all of a sudden it opens up with Mulder and Scully, just bickering, just like at each other's throats from the very beginning. I'm like, I don't remember them being like this. No. And I don't think that they are a whole... Like, it's definitely turned up in this episode. And I think that the logic behind it is like, oh, there's weird events going on this in this town. There's weird vibes, like, you know, atmospheric vibes that are they're feeling. And so it's kind of accentuating all these things that have been kind of going on in the previous, you know, two seasons. But yeah, it's very strange and not the best representation of their relationship at all. <laughs> no, and I and I and I was wondering about about you in particular because you said that this was your introduction to X Files, and I can't imagine this being like my intro to the series because it's nothing like the episodes that I remember watching. And so, yeah. did, what did this interest you at all, or how did what was your relationship to X Files after watching this episode? I think I, I, think I was in a similar position as you were like i didn't i couldn't watch it at home Mm because it wouldn't be allowed and then yeah i was in marching and like you know as i got older and like you know friday nights i'd be busy and yeah Mm -hmm. i didn't couldn't record it or anything so i didn't see it till i didn't start watching the series all the way through till probably my early 20s and by that time, they were available like on DVD and stuff. Right. Um, so I didn't see it when it was actually playing on TV. So I don't think it really 
it it didn't hook me. It wasn't like, oh, now I got to like make sure to watch this and like make sure to like be home or tune in. Like it I it did not hook me. I can tell you that. But it scared <laughs> me, I guess. Yeah. This seems like a satire. Like I feel like this is kind of satirizing the 80s in particular and like the 50s because the 80s again was like a representation of the 50s. So like when I was watching this, I, I, I'm still trying to parse my thoughts about this because, like, <laughs> I was watching this going, I don't understand what they're trying to say here. And then I, I watched this episode twice because I was like, I don't really know what to talk about with this episode. But then I started realizing that the opening scene has this guy named Boom, who goes by Boom, who's played by Ryan Reynolds, by the way. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> like, What? <laughs> That is something I did not realize till I rewatched it. Uh, yeah, Just I, for this, you know, I was like, oh, wait, that was right. And <laughs> like, holy shit, I had, did not remember that. That's like very brief side note. That's the best part about going back and watching this now. Like all the people who had very small roles mm-hmm. in like individual episodes. It's it's amazing. Seinfeld, too, anyway. is a good one for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, but okay. So we're we, we're introduced to the the central conflict at this like memorial, and Boomer Boom is talking about how like we need to go kick butt for Bruno, or I don't even remember what the guy's name is that that died yeah. before this. I don't even think it's necessary. It to know. <laughs> but he's like he's wearing his like letter jacket. He has like this ha- the hair, and it just it feels like. The 80s is the 50s is filtered through the 80s being presented in the 90s. Like it is such a, a weird amalgamation of, of time periods. That it feels like this episode is sort of a, a satire of sort of the well, the satanic panic that that started in particular in the 70s and 80s. But like that high school kind of sex comedy, because the way this starts to unfold with the two girls being like, oh, the cult's going to kill virgins. I'm a virgin, you know, like, th- yeah. that feels like a sex comedy. Sorry, I, I want that recorded and have that for everyone. I'm a virgin. So it, it feels like that's kind of what it's pulling from, though, is that sort of like high yeah. school sex comedy that was so popular in the 80s. Oh, I agree. 100%. I think that's exactly what it is. And then just kind of the the 90s trend because that that i think i mean that really comes back we see a lot of those you know comedies and horror a lot of that teen stuff coming back so i think it was just tapping into kind of that trend that really was just sort of starting around this time but yeah i do think that it was just playing it was just playing off that satanic panic and trying to be really like a funny x-files episode but also just not really succeeding i was okay thank you because i was like like all the things are like especially with like the the mob with like the torches like going like he killed the kid or they find his bag in the river and like it's oh fuck what was the fucking dog's name the bones of the dog and chidic mr tippy i'm like it's so like the ideas are funny but it was not executed well in terms of comedy so i was like is this just really poorly written for the X-Files? Like, did they not know what they were trying to do? Yeah, I don't know. It was not a good horror comedy. Like, let's just put it like that. It was just not the... It's, it felt like they were trying to do horror comedy, but, like, did not know No, it's how to execute it, Yeah, the tone well. on this is all over the place. Like, it would have been so cool if they had, like, really leaned into the horror element. Like, it could have been really cool. But at the same time, right? they kind of did this weird... Yeah, this weird comedy thing that they were trying to do between Skulder and Molly. Because I think at this time in the franchise, there was a... Skulder and... Sorry, you said Skulder and Molly, and I love it. I I was like, like, I'm going to do that. I love it. Skulder. 
Skulder. Hey, Skulder you know, the like couple names wasn't very big at the time, but the now, now yeah. those OTPs, they would be Skulder or Mully. Maybe I think Skulder is better. Skulder is better. I like Skulder better. Uh, <laughs> we all know they exist out there on the internet. Yeah. We all know they're there. But I, I think that they were really trying to like, because I think the fans at that point, it was really one of those like, will they, won't they things. And so I yeah, think it was a yeah. lot of like in jokes for fans of the franchise up until that point. But if you're like, like me, I had never seen any of the other ones. So it was it was lost. <laughs> and and even then I don't think it was really now that I that I am a fan of the franchise, I still don't think it's that great. It's like good job, guys. <laughs> I was wondering because I, as I was watching this, I totally didn't find anything funny about it except for like random lines that just were popped out and I'm like, oh that that's kind of funny. But I didn't think of it as a comedy until I until I started to do some like research into it and like reading reviews of it. And I found some that were talking about how it was it was <laughs> supposed to be a, a, one of the more comedic episodes of, of um X Files. And I was like, oh and that's why I ended up rewatching it and watched it twice because like am I did I miss something the first time? Because I was I was looking for I was looking for something. Well, first of all, I was looking for something scary because I was like, okay, so what is the scene? Because I was, I'm always curious. What is the scene that like did this? And I kind of thought that maybe it would be the the garage scene because that's like literally the only scene in the in the in the episode that like I thought was even you know frightening. But I was like, I don't see this as a comedy. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. And yeah, I think. I mean, I can admit that this is not very scary. I think I was just. In the right frame of mind, oh. and my poor little innocent head had just like never quite seen something like this. Mm-hmm. Although I will say, I do love these two girls in it. Okay. <gasps> yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say I love these girls though. Like I am so mad they didn't do just like all on these girls, like more focusing on these two girls because they're incredible character. Like they are incredible, and I want a Jennifer's Body style movie about the two of them. Yeah. Very badly. I think that they look great and their dynamic together, and just like the hate him, hate him, hate like, him. Wouldn't want to yeah. date him and just like <laughs> I know I was. Oh, you spilled drinks on oh. me. We're gonna c- crush you. We're gonna crush <laughs> you. But like it is the but like it's such like it's the high it's like the high school bitchiness taken to the best extreme. Oh, totally. Like, I knew girls who do that shit. Like ugh, hate her and like that petty shit. And then what they could have done if they had this telekinetic power. Oh yeah. Like, it, that's what's so scary because like i know plenty of girls who would have done that shit if they had <laughs> these crazy powers and like at the beginning too when they're it's boom and he's like he's hanging and they're going they're, they're panning up the rope and you, he loves me loves you not and like they're just sitting there like plucking the the petals off and they're so devious and shitty and amazing and i feel like they're gonna kiss at one point when they lean in and like boop noses yeah. <laughs> and like that is like the best scene to me in the whole episode of when they're just like giggling maniacally oh, totally like little shitty teenage witches and it's just so good oh, yeah. and i like i loved that and i think that it's the same reason why i was really attracted to like you know all these later movies that would come out like scream and you know i know what you did last summer and all that is that there was an an element of like sexiness to this mm. episode, I think. Like, this, yeah. well, I mean, this episode's horny. Can we just like oh. it is up from everybody? Oh. <laughs> and I think that that also like made it feel dangerous to me. And just seeing these girls, and then as they get like 
you know, a little bit wilder with their hair and their makeup and their outfits. I was just so in love with them. Like, to me, they were just like, so cool. Well, they all you kind of talked about the, the wrenching the hair and it that's what like kind of started to clue me in that this was sort of like a an 80s throwback because all of a sudden the hair got bigger. It got it reminded me of like the sort of like punk aesthetic of like the 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 80s where everyone had the big hair and you know and and acting like like these two characters and also side note the fact that terry is played by lisa robin kelly who would go on to be laurie foreman in that 70s show talk about Mm -hmm. like little one note characters in in x-files that would have like big you know bigger careers later Lori Foreman, right there. I know. And she had just such a sad story on her own, though. Because oh. I think she passed away under sad circumstances. Oh, did she? Yeah. Oh, I think oh no. There was some drug-related stuff there. But oh. yeah, it's, so it is good. It's cool to see her in this. And that, yeah, and then seeing her as in that 70s show. And also the other, um, the other woman, Wendy, she was in Wishmaster. So... Oh, that's, that's right. Uh, <laughs> that's so they, right. And she did a lot of other stuff too. But when I saw that on her credits, I was like, "Oh yes, Wishbuster." <laughs> so that's always fun to see that kind of stuff. But yeah, I love their their uh, their dynamic. And I do think when I was rewatching it for this, that Lisa Robin Kelly, it's like she totally could have been in the craft and mm. been one of those girls. Like no problem. Like I love Feruza Balk. Like do not get me wrong. But if it wasn't her i think actually lisa probably could have pulled it off oh she could have absolutely yes just looking at her picture and thinking like yep yeah Mm -hmm. so mary beth you mentioned the scene where the camera's tilting up and they're he loves me he loves me not and they it looks like they could almost kiss am i the only one that got kind of queer coding from these two characters one thousand two million percent (laughs) (laughs) okay like it felt like they were just like it felt like the extreme of like girls who play with boys and like they're our boyfriends, but it's mostly just like they're manipulating them because they can and they have this newfound power and they're using it to their advantage. But I definitely got that kind of like, are they best friends mm-hmm. or are they more than that? I got that vibe a lot. And I wish they had leaned more, like, I wish they had leaned more into it and just having them be queer, because that would have been, like, an even cooler inversion of that whole, like, teenage sex comedy, satanic panic, these, like, evil young girls, and they're actually queer. And that would have been, a, I think, a really cool twist on the story. But again, it is the 90s. This isn't from the 90s. Episodes from the 90s, I yeah. think. Yeah, 90s, 90s, early I was well. I started thinking about um, well. First of all, we talk. We're talking a little bit about how this kind of might have pulled from inspirations from other movies. I do think watching this, that uh, Tragedy Girls kind of pulls from this dynamic of these two characters. Mm. Oh. Um, oh, I need to. See, I do need to see that. Oh, Tragedy Girls is so I've not good. Seen Tragedy have you seen Girls. it? Yeah, I've heard it's, yeah, it's it's wonderful. <laughs> and those two characters are also. I mean, I wrote an article about it. These those two characters in my mind are textually queer, but. It feels mm-hmm. like a, a pulling from this from this dynamic here, and particularly the scene that kind of clued me in on it was there's a moment towards the end of the episode where they're doing that hate him, you know, thing, and Terry says hate him, and then Margie says nothing because maybe mm-hmm. she has feelings for him, it seems like, or maybe she's more interested in him than just a play mm-hmm. thing, and then she's like hate him, like trying to get Margie to to go along with her, and she doesn't, and then that is what sparks the kind of final confrontation between the two in the in the garage because all of a sudden Margie she might be interested in the boy that they've been just kind of playing with. That is where that final like 
climactic moment that scared you <laughs> with the the spring from the the garage killing poor Scott. Uh, but it's it's that kind of that situation that it started making me think about tragedy girls because they go through a very similar kind of relationship spiral where they're very jealous of other boys and attention with their other person. And then they end up like having to kill people and, you know, that kind of stuff. But this scene, it was like, okay, these, this is really, and maybe it's one of them more so than the other, but Terry is obviously in love with Margie, in my opinion. And this moment Mm -hmm. of like Margie finally not reciprocating that, that relationship and going for the man is what like sparks the final confrontation between the two of them but you're right they do not i don't think they lean into it enough and that might be my biggest complaint about the episode as a whole is not leaning into what they're what they're setting up as much i i mean i'm with you on that i think it would have been so much more interesting and powerful if they did just yeah i because i think i think you're right up until that moment where Margie just doesn't say anything they were in it together you know they were killing all these boys just these boys together and yeah it would have been so much more interesting I, I i do think you can read it also as just there's a way to read it as both i think queer and just women's interpretation of like young mm-hmm. blossoming women i guess mm-hmm. just the power yeah. that that can hold in society and how you know these two young women aren't behaving in ways that the rest of their small town would deem as like appropriate and so you know it's like a witch hunt it's literally like a witch hunt it would have been interesting to see that more a queer lens like turned up a little bit for sure well and that's the other thing that that um I'm kind of alluding to cuz I want to talk about this as well it they they seem to bring up aspects or hint about aspects, but then don't really go into it. And the other the other big aspect of this is the idea of satanic panic. And we see how this yeah. this town gets kind of sped up with this like idea of like there is a Satanist here, we must find him, we must kill him. The fact that it's the principal of the school going that's like all of a sudden lost his marbles and is is so focused on rooting out the Satan the Satanists in their backyard. But the show kind of introduces this idea of the other in here with the the doctor. They find that bag that you were talking about, and the bag has the doctor's initials on it. And so then the mob goes storming on his door, and we see him rushing down the stairs with uh, women's high heels, with a woman's um, robe, and with lipstick on his mouth. So obviously he is a queer character. And he is the person that this mob has put their ire on. So it's like all of a sudden we sort of introduce this and then it's kind of played for laughs where Mulder's at the police station. He's like, someone's wearing the perfume I really like. And it's obviously not one of the two women because it's it's this doctor character that has already been seen to the audience as being queer coded. So they bring this this other aspect of it, but then they don't really do anything with it. Yeah, it's it's very weird. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something too that went over my head the first time I saw. It. And then I rewatched that and I was like, Oh, that's why is that in there? That's very strange. But I, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's the, the idea of just, yeah, the others in society, whether it's, you know, women who aren't behaving like mm-hmm. how young women are supposed to be behaving or this, you know, this doctor who, you know, is queer. Um, and just how society can, turn on them so fast and and then make up complete conspiracies around it like that's what is also interesting to me is that you know they pull open 
the bag and they're like, it's baby bones. (laughs) And like, oh, they're killing baby. And it's like, nobody said that. Like, you are completely just fabricating and using this false narrative to fit your agenda. Yes. Sounds familiar. Yeah. (laughs) Weird, right? (laughs) Yes. Weird. (laughs) Kind of continuing on what you're saying. Yes, they they definitely seem prone to make up things because even before that when they're digging around in in this guy harvey's backyard he's like saying well maybe harvey's got something to hide we got two kids who are prepared to say they took them on a camping trip and made them play naked movie star (laughs) games first of all my favorite what I love my favorite game. I was going to ask you guys. That's exactly what what I put. I put naked movie star games question mark. Because I don't like, what does that mean? You've heard of reindeer games with Rudolph, but have you heard of naked movie star games? I think not. I wish I knew a movie star to ask. (laughs) Girl, same. What are these games you play in the woods? (laughs) That hilarious line aside, it's the idea that we have two kids who are prepared to say. It's not mm-hmm. that we have two kids that were involved with this. It's all of a sudden they're prepared. And that has a different connotation because, again, we are looking for some person that is not acting like the the idea of what a small town should be that is acting outside of it. And that is who we must look put our eye on. We don't know who Harvey is. He doesn't show up at all in this episode. And yet mm-hmm. the only thing we know is that he maybe took people on a camping trip and maybe something salacious happened, but maybe not because who knows? Because we're just making shit up at this point. Oh, yeah. And it's the girls that are fueling it. So you can read mm-hmm. a lot into that. Like the girls made up this whole narrative about the cult. They're the ones telling the story about like, oh, yeah. And then they brought out this baby and the knife and they're all dressed like they're the ones making An up. unmarked mass grave of babies. <laughs> yeah. So black clothes. You know, there's that. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Just the fact that like these people who are creating and fueling this, you know, story are actually the ones who are responsible for the whole thing. Well, and that's something I was thinking a lot about, too, because this is this could have very easily been like a it kind of is a little bit like the evil of teenage girls. But then at the end, when it's the clock hits midnight and all of the psychic energy finally dissipates, they're sobbing in the corner and the guy is like, it was Satan. Yeah. Like, it was just like, these young girls couldn't be capable of, like, he was had a shotgun, like, ready to just fucking kill them. And then all of a sudden they're crying in the corner and he's like, it was the devil. Oh, yeah. Like, it's so, it's very interesting how they were like, it's both, there's this interesting narrative about how these young girls are able to manipulate this entire town, but then the town isn't necessarily able to I I read it as they weren't able to totally process or like accept that young girls Mm, had mm, manipulated mm. them like this and had committed these crimes that they couldn't possibly Mm. be like that exactly because it was like these girls were obviously acting of their own volition and were just given some sick ass telekinetic powers that I always wanted as a kid I will say I wouldn't have killed people probably (laughs) but but it is so interesting how it's this like this interesting story about how a two young girls are just absolutely fucking with this town and the town won't doesn't believe it was them i I know or like really them no i think you're exactly right it's kind of rad and i wish they did a little bit more with that but at the same time i did like they weren't just like oh evil teenage girls like they're terrible and ruin everything but it's more like look at the power that they exercised over these older men basically oh yeah which was pretty yeah it's very yeah and they're just they're not just killing anyone needy 
killing boys <laughs> yes <laughs> i just kept getting jennifer i just couldn't stop thinking about jennifer's body I, and that like i got such jennifer's body vibes a little mm-hmm. bit so i do love that about this episode too just like knowing what's gonna come afterwards it's like it's pretty cool to me how they were able to kind of preempt all of that with like this trend that would totally go on like i think the only really thing that came out before this that i can really compare it to would be heather's And I mean, I'm sure I'm positive they drew some influence from that, but just the, the amount of female empower, you know, empowerment films and like the way that, you know, young teenage females are going to go to be represented in horror in, in the oncoming, like even five years, I think is really fascinating that this was right there at kind of the, the beginning of it. And like you said, this came out in 96. Like, it was before a bunch of yeah. that, those movies. So it is so fascinating to see how X-Files really is always kind of on that edge of really cool yeah. shit. Like, even if it's not necessarily done well, mm-hmm. it is interesting to see how that show really was kind of, like, on the cutting edge of some of that horror stuff. Not always, but some, like... Yeah. It's a... Ugh, I just fucking love the X-Files. <laughs> I grew up watching the X-Files. I grew up with Child of Divorce. Both both households loved the X-Files. So, like, it was just X-Files all the time. And so. I will say, like, for me personally, this was a really great kind of soft intro into the world of teen horror Mm. because i hadn't really seen any of that before like and uh so there was a lot about it that i just i thought was so cool like yeah it scared me but as a young you know 13 year old girl in middle school like this really was just so cool to for, for me personally to see these young women just having this power and this friendship and like yeah fuck those guys and like yeah we're gonna just like you said manipulate all these people and make up this story like that was really cool to me because i felt like you know i could never do something like that like i I could never (laughs) like have that sort of power and that relationship so i think that it really just resonated with me and i thought it was so cool and i yeah i'd never seen any of these other films so it was cool to see it for me and a ouija board i had never seen a ouija board used in a film before so and they did that in there too which i thought was really cool (laughs) can we talk about the 300 dollars exposition dump oh i kind of loved that astrologer i think is her name yeah whatever it was i thought she was really funny like i love when yeah just the fact that she won't like tell them anything and she's like no pay me bitch (laughs) and not only that but i have to make sure the credit card goes through because i know how you government types are (laughs) the government never has money i'm making sure this card goes through first but i just love that like she's like once every 84 years mercury mars and uranus come into conjunction but then uranus is in the house of aquarius and things are going to fall out of the sky disaster lights in wait we're in a geological vortex a high intensity meridian and then my favorite line of the entire episode a cosmic g spot mm-hmm. i really what? wish <laughs> i knew somebody who was like super into astrology and that kind because of, i want to know like is this real <laughs> Because I I don't know. The cosmic G spot. Yeah, like, is this whole scissor G? Is this, like, I want, I, it would be interesting to know, like, how much of this is just, like, 
TV writing bullshit or if, if it's like a real thing. But yes, it's it's such <laughs> such a ridiculous little like monologue to set up like why the girls have the power and like, oh, if you were born on this day, like forget about it. You could tell me that shit and I'd be like, uh-huh. Oh, exactly. Astrology is just like over my fucking head. <laughs> yeah. And people tell like explain it to me and I'm like, mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yep. Sounds great. Sun, moon, earth signs, houses, retrograde. I'm like, yep. Okay. <laughs> it forms a cross. I have not heard. You get all that power. I have not heard. Okay. So I have a couple of friends who are really into astrology. I have not asked them specifically about like that kind of stuff. Like, do my hand motion. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like invoke. Um, but they don't, I've never heard them talk about like that kind of thing about like planets aligning and like powers. But, arising have they ever talked about the cosmic g-spot i have not heard about um, the cosmic g-spot so i will inquire okay. about the cosmic please do mm-hmm. um <laughs> hi have you ever heard of the cosmic <laughs> g-spot can you tell me where it is can you help me locate is it the prostate i'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> that's the p-spot <laughs> oh, but geez. that that line also does kind of <laughs> god that that line also does tie kind of tie into the horniness of the episode as we've talked about though because i love that that uh Mulder goes over to the detective's house and is like you know maybe you can help me solve the mystery of the horny beast and then that line comes up later as she's knocking on his uh, his hotel room door and is jump jumping him to like jump him and she's, she's like, like i don't know what he's like he's, he's like i'm drunk i don't know why i never drank and she's like i'm feeling very strange and then she just leaps, leaps on, on top of Which, him okay also by the way taking orange concentrate and just pouring that into a vodka bottle that's okay i yeah i have never heard of this like screwdriver hack but it looks disgusting <laughs> it sounds terrible like, like concentrates just like i forgot that i used to make things out of concentrate out of those cannons i forgot mm-hmm. that I, I have i had like banished that out of my brain <laughs> oh, until today yeah that's i've never heard of that and if that's a real thing like oof i i don't know i don't know i guess it does fit Mulder's, you know character a little bit but ugh, so gross <laughs> That was that was a wild, <laughs> wild moment. I was like looking at this, going, "Huh? Do people do people ever do that?" Because I remember putting like Jolly Ranchers into a Zima, but like that's the extent of my like <laughs> bizarre juice mixing. <laughs> Put Jolly Ranchers into a Zima. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Tell me you're old without telling me you're old. Just kidding. Oh no! Someone take it. Wait. Zimas are back. Wait. Uh, wait. Zimas are back now. It's fine. <laughs> Oh, yes! <laughs> just for you, Mary Beth. We got some laughter just yes. for you, some canned laughter. Yes. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> do we want to wrap up and give us our rating out of five? Yes. Five cosmic G spots. No. <laughs> it's Harry, how many cosmic G spots? <laughs> Wait, are we so- what happens if there's more than one cosmic <laughs> Ooh, baby. Oh, I don't want to know. Just a bunch of O, oh, O, oh, oh. <laughs> It's devolved. This is devolved. How, how many cosmic G-spots are you giving this one, Terry? Uh, <laughs> I would love to give it five. I would love to give it five cosmic G-spots because more G-spots for everyone. 
but I I don't think this is a, a great episode. I don't know what it is about about this episode, but it just it seems like they're all of the ingredients are here, but they're not put together appropriately. I there's some really fantastic lines. I love some of the snappy dialogue that we get that I do think kind of influence like what what I mean like it surprised me that this comes out before before Scream because there are some of that snappy kind of bitchy kind of queer dialogue moments where it's like she's like carpe pm, you know. There's like moments like that that are really kind of funny but they're not tied together interestingly enough like that we have the satanic cult aspect but it's not explored enough we have this idea of this cosmic alliance but that is literally just used as like an exposition dump that's not explored we have this potential reading of the these girls that might be queer might not be might just be kind of bitchy teenagers you don't know but they, they, none of this is really explored in any interesting way it's just sort of is there. And it makes me kind of sad because like, I, I do think there are some very fascinating things here that if they had put it together a little bit better might have hit more, but as it is, this is not what I'm going to look back to when I think of X-Files. This is not a home episode. This is not like the, I think it's called ice nine with the thing that is like the thing in the backs of their people's necks. This isn't the thing that I'm going to think about when I think about X-Files. That was a lot of abouts. So for me, I think it is a, a two and a half, G-spots? I don't want to cut that G-spot in half, but <laughs> here we are. What about you, Mary Beth? I'm also going to give it two and a half G-spots so we can just take the halves and put them there together like the world's most perverted <gasps> best friends necklace. <gasps> um, but I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with a lot, of, a lot of what you're saying because it feels like they either had like different writers write different parts or they had like a bunch of chunks that they kind of wanted to put together, but it was all written separately. So it didn't come together like in a cohesive package. Like, they should have picked one thing and stuck with it. So, you know, they've tried to make me laugh. It just was very confused. But I, I really loved these two girls, these mm-hmm. two characters. Like, I would watch a series about those two, like, their telekinetic hijinks in their town. Or I think those were really well-written, cool characters that I would have loved to see more of. So I think the, those two women are the saving grace of the episode. Because it definitely is not... A super memorable X-Files episode, but I love talking about it with you, Rachel, because it's so cool to hear, like, your very specific (laughs) connection with it is so cool, and that's why I love this podcast. So, yeah, I two and a half Cosmic G-Spots. So, Rachel, you have the final word. How many Cosmic G-Spots are you giving? Syzygy. Yes, I agree with everything you guys are saying. It's It's wild to me, like... Now, as an adult, I'm a huge X-Files fan. I love this series. But I think that this episode would be better without Mulder and Scully. Mm. Like, if this was just, like, a film or something. Like, if it was, just like you just said, a series about these girls. Like, it's actually the X-Files part of it that kind of takes away from it, which is so weird. So, because of that, I'm giving it three cosmic g spots but mainly just because it had like it's got such a weird nostalgia notch in my heart because i yeah i have such a weird specific memory of it and it's but i can can totally admit that it was the situation surrounding it and where i was literally in that moment at time watching it that it hit me the way that it did but i still do love a lot about it and yeah, watching it now and just, yeah, the bleachers, the garage spring, the birds falling from the sky, like oh, yeah. those moments. 
I just remember how much they scared me and like stuck with me. And, you know, every time I'm in a garage and I see those springs, I'm like, oh, God, they can fly off at any minute. You know, so like that's (laughs) still like I still think about that if I see those kind of springs. And so it's, it's just weird that. It's this silly little episode of X-Files that's not even that great that for some reason just left such a mark on me. But I love these girls. I love the actresses together. I think their performances are great. Mm-hmm. And I would love, yeah, I would love to see more of this about how two girls just harness and embrace their young feminine power to just mm. manipulate a whole town into a satanic panic frenzy like i love that and i would love to see that but you know maybe scully and Mulder can sit it out <laughs> yeah yes what up, guys we don't need you here we don't need you to solve the problem no. we just want to watch just, it <laughs> we just want to watch the girls burn the city to the ground <laughs> yes please and be super hot and queer at the same time. Mm. <laughs> That's all I want. Really? I want to watch super hot queer girls burn towns to the ground and kill boys. Yeah, that really s- that, that is exactly what I so want. So much to ask. Come on. <laughs> so specific. I love it. Yeah. Maybe some naked movie star games. I don't yes. Know. <laughs> please. Maybe maybe we can find out what those are. Yes, please. Will some celebrity reach out to us and let us know what kind of yeah, naked movie star games are you are you participating in and why is it such a secret uh, oh geez. i also want to say it's it's good to know i did learn something in this so if i ever am in an in interrogation that i can i i'll make sure to state my gpa while i'm being interrogated yes. Yes. because i was dying i, was I like, never knew that yes, was important queen. but apparently it is so i just i hope you flex guys that, flex that yeah GPA. i hope you guys wrote that note so just in case <laughs> yeah i'll do that now i'll be like i'll remember my gpa from college <laughs> make one up uh, anyway. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us to talk about this episode of the X Files Syzygy, which we're going to have to do a lot of DSing about. But where can our <laughs> listeners find you? And what do you have that you'd like to, to share that you might have coming up? Sure. Uh, so you can find me on both Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Vinyl Girl G R R R L. And um, I'll have some pieces coming out on Rue Morgue and Valingo in the next little bit. I'll have an interview with Jeff Grace, who did um, the score for Sweet Tooth, which is on Netflix, Ooh. and is really just so cute and wonderful. So if it's it's lovely, I can, I, I highly recommend it if you're in for you know want a little detour from the horror stuff. And then um, I also have an interview up right now on Room Org, uh with Patricia Day of the Horror Pops. And she's incredible. So if you want to check that out, that would be wonderful as well. And we'll throw some links up in the show notes for everyone to go check some of this stuff out. Yeah. And then you can also catch me um, on the Losers Club podcast here and there. Um, lots of cool stuff coming down the pike there. So yeah, we're on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Yeah, congrats for that, by the way. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Thank, yeah, we're Fuck very yeah. excited. Happy to be there in wonderful company. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's truly an honor to be a part of that part of that team. And it's such a perfect home for the pod. So yeah, we're all we're all thrilled. <laughs> awesome. Sweet. Um, so listeners, you heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What is your experience with Syzygy? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Syzygy. I mean, I'm at Gailey Dreadful. <laughs> Damn it. I was 
going to make that joke and then I didn't. Damn it. <laughs> um, and of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Uh, thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thanks everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time, keep saying syzygy. Syzygy. <laughs> ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.